Welcome in, everybody. This is uh, my name is Nick, and this is Brian. This is the Foundation After Show. We're doing part of my channel. Um, we've essentially been watching like the first three episodes of this show and kind of wanted a place to talk about it afterwards. It seems like it's going to be one of those shows that sticks around for a while, at least at least you know, maybe I'm not giving too much away as far as my thoughts on it so far. But it does feel like something that has some some staying power and we kind of want to talk about it. It's a very dense one. So we think an after show is kind of warranted for this kind of thing as well. Oh, for sure. But um, again, my name is Nick. I do a uh, I, I essentially write film reviews and I do a watch party every week on my channel um, that should be like linked or it or should be on the, the, the overlay here. Um, we essentially watch do watch parties every Friday at 8 p.m. Um, Monday. Every Monday. Sorry. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> every Monday is at 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. Um, and I'll let you go ahead and introduce yourself. Hey, I'm Brian. Um, I am a editor and contributor to Geeks Worldwide. Uh, I join Nick every so often on his watch parties. I try to contribute as much as I can. As of right now, I'm just working my normal stuff and doing things like this with Nick. Uh, like how we said, Foundations is such a dense show that there's so many different themes that are displayed on each week's episode that definitely talking about it will be a great way to understand more of like what they're trying to say their themes and this is really cool and i'm really happy that uh he invited me on again so this is this is gonna be fun awesome yeah so before we start kind of diving into the episode and episodes like uh one through three um we did watch one and two probably about a week or two ago and kind of that's kind of where we we kind of um I don't know. I don't want to speak for you, but that's kind of where I realized that it was going to be a, a bigger show. And then it's something I really liked because I hadn't, I hadn't heard about it before. Um, so what we're going to do in this episode, because we just watched episode three today, I think both of us. So it's a little more fresh for us is we're going to do a quick kind of review and recap of our overall thoughts of the series. And then we're going to vaguely touch on episode one and two. Um, yeah. And before we dive into that, though, I do want to say, uh, just starting off here, that neither of us have read Isaac Asimov's series, his uh, his amazing Foundation series. I've heard amazing things about it, but uh, neither of us have read the book. So we're coming at yep. this solely from the perspective of people that have just kind of stumbled upon the TV show. And we're wanting to kind of dive into what the TV show has given us. And we're, we're not able to make any kind of comparisons to uh, what happened with the book series and stuff like that. So if you guys are looking for like a deep dive on people that potentially have read the books and are, are kind of going through comparisons, this isn't going to be that show. Um, but we did see that there is a foundation podcast, so they may be a little more in depth on that. So if you guys are looking for something to chew on in that regard, that might be the way to go for you, but it's not going to be in this podcast. So yeah, um, if you guys did read the books and are, and are very interested in the show and, um, and have thoughts about the show, feel free to hang out and talk with us and stuff like that. But again, we're just going to be coming from that point of view. So, uh, hopefully there's no spoilers or anything in chat or anything that comes up, but, um, yeah, that's going to be kind of our our frame of reference here. But uh, I wanted to get into just basic our basic overall thoughts so far yeah. and kind of give people that here. What were your thoughts on just the show as a whole so far and what what you think of it? Kind of kind of broad strokes. Well, when I saw that Jared Harris was involved, my immediate thought was this is going to be a very deep, dense show, and it's going to be very it's going to touch upon a lot of themes that most sci fi shows very rarely try to approach and discuss um jared harris if you guys don't know he is one of the lead actors from the amazing hbo miniseries uh chernobyl highly recommend watching that if you haven't done so yet but yeah um no my initial thoughts of the show so far was it's really unique it's really interesting because the I, I, it's 
it's a sci-fi show that does that deals heavily with a lot of themes as that I saw in like Battlestar Galactica, Babylon Five, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And those are shows that uses politics, real-world analysis, the way that the world is set up, and they interpret interpret it into the future. And when I saw the first episode, and they were slowly doing that, it really caught my interest. Granted, there's no uh, Cylons trying to blow up planets and things. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, in other episodes, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah. it, it it touched upon a lot of stuff that we don't we sci-fi tends to steer away from. So a show to mm-hmm. incorporate modern themes in the future really got to me. And when they did that in the first episode, it I'm like, okay, this is going to be a really great show. They're going to do justice and i the actors like i said jared harris is in it uh lee pace yeah the acting's fantastic some of the actors they have in are fantastic um yeah so i i uh the initial thing that jumps out to me is the scope the scale of this show is just insane it's one of the biggest uh scope shows that i've ever seen um and as far as like the production value the quality the just the just the scale of everything seems so huge um the effects work and stuff feel like movie quality like all of them feel yes. like and, and we may dive into that episode by episode as far as like the technical the technical effects work and stuff like that but that that stood out to me as, as really big it does have like you came to it through jared harris i think i came to it through lee pace because i saw lee pace was involved in it i was a huge fan of his after I, the fall is one of my favorite movies yeah. he did halt and catch fire which i thought was fantastic that was so good. i was kind of following his career and i saw that he was doing this show and then i realized it was a big book series from from asimov and i was like well lee pace asimov that seems like a yeah for me yeah well, with Asimov, have you had any? Because I know he also wrote *I Robot*, which the movie was completely different from the books. Um, I read a little bit of the books uh, *I Robot* because it dealt with like the three laws of robotics. So, like, mm-hmm. I was very familiar with his stuff from *I Robot* and stuff like that. Um, were you familiar with his other writings or his other like properties like that? No, not firsthand. Uh, I was. I, I've I've been familiar with kind of like his um, his stamp in the industry because so many things. Um, like when I read about so many things and so many sci-fi properties in Hollywood or whatever, a lot of them are either based on properties that were inspired by Asimov's writing or they're directly based on Asimov's writing. So a lot of those kind of like, like you said, the three laws of robotics, those kind of bigger uh, kind of philosophical ideas that take place in the sci-fi realm uh, are, are a lot. A lot of it is rooted in his his original work. So that's kind of how I came to it. But I haven't I not that I can recall. I don't think I've read anything like specifically from Isaac Asimov. Okay, yeah, I, I never finished that robot, like I because it was a bunch of uh, anthologies that explained the, the three ro- laws of robotics in different scenarios. Like after the first two, it was just I I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I, I get it. It's <laughs> I get the three laws. You don't have to like rephrase the same scenario in different ways right. to explain it. So yeah, I'm like, I, I got it. I got it. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's uh, I mean that's that's kind of how I came to it through was uh, was Lee Pace, but again those those things the main things I noticed were just the production quality and the scale were probably the two things that jumped out at me yeah. the most about the show. And then um I, you know another thing too is um a lot of people have been talking in the last couple years uh maybe two years I guess since it ended, but everyone's been talking about the the industry buzzword of the next Game of Thrones. I think there was like a um, yeah. It's 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 not saying that this is like Game of Thrones, but it's saying that like what's the next big everyone talk about talk around the water cooler kind of show yes. that's gonna kind of take the the public zeitgeist by hold and just kind of like uh, capture yeah. the attention of of the mass mass audiences and stuff. That's kind of what I got from what that term was. Yeah, um, and it's also um, the Walking Dead. Where like when the Walking Dead would add, mm-hmm. was at its peak, 
it was, hey, did you see Walking Dead last night? I was like, no, no, I haven't seen it yet. I got, I'm going to watch it after work. Don't say anything. We'll talk right. about it tomorrow. Right. And it was the same thing with like Game of Thrones. So there is a void where there's not really a show that will that has that like, did you see last week's episode? Did you see yesterday's mm-hmm. episode? And Foundation has the potential to kind of fill that void a little bit. Mm-hmm. But we have to see if it does or doesn't. Yes. Yeah, and I think potential is a really good word there because it, it definitely I think uh, I think without without giving too much away of our deep dives, I think it's set up that it has the potential to do that as far as how um, and and I, again, I, the the comparison I want to make to Game of Thrones is just the scale of it, because Game of Thrones was a giant show at the time, yes. even when this first season, uh, as far as the budget and the kind of world that it's building out. Um, this is this is also a, a huge budget show with a giant yes. world that it's building out and a lot of uh, interesting characters. So it, it's similar in that regard. It's also similar in that it kind of has it kind of shows the perspective of the layman or, or the. Uh, the kind of um, blue collar uh, characters, as well as like the political intrigue of like royalty and all that kind of stuff and, and, the, and the inner workings of that. Um, yeah. So it has that in common as well. And it's also a dense show, whereas yes. when you're watching Game of Thrones season one, you're trying to catch like names and houses and all the backgrounds and stuff, and they're not holding your hand as much about it. And I think that's very similar in this show too, where the first couple episodes, they're throwing a lot at you and they're not, they're not like they're not walking walking you through it slowly. It's yeah. just kind of like they're they're hoping you catch up, you know. Yeah, they're not they're not dumbing it down for you. They're saying, "Hey, this is our show. You're either gonna jump on or not get involved at all." And yeah. I think that I think that's a lot to do with like the creating the creators of it because um, it's David. Yeah, it's David Goyer and Joshua Friedman or Friedman. Mm-hmm. And David Esquire, he is known for this type of stuff. He's done a yeah. lot of these unique things. His his repertoire, like his work of art, is huge. He's yeah. and if I remember correctly, I think he he did the Watchmen. Did he do the Watchmen? No, that was uh, Damon Lindelof that uh, okay. did the Watchmen. David Goyer is mostly known, I, from what I know him from, is doing the Dark Knight trilogy, and and um and I think he was working with Jonathan Nolan on on writing the Dark Knight trilogy. Yeah. Okay, yeah, he did. So, oh, he yeah. also did Ghost Rider. He's, he's also done a lot of Zack Snyder's DC, helped with a lot of Zack Snyder's DC movies and stuff like that as well. But, um, oh, yeah, he did he's... the Puppet Masters. Oh, okay. Oh, snap. He did Dark City. Dark, Dark City was a great, great film, highly underrated. Is that, uh, that like the older one with um, Rufus Sewell and I think Kiefer Sutherland was in that as well? Um, it's the one that everyone says yes. the Matrix took from. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah okay. It's uh, Rufus Sewell, Kiefer Sutherland, and Jennifer mm-hmm. Connelly. Yeah. So yeah, he's he's definitely got a background. He's very good at like wide scale, big scope shows. He's got a very um a, a very big vision. The other thing too I saw was he was involved in Man of Steel too. And I don't know if you yeah. noticed this too, but a lot of the tech they use seems reminiscent of like Krypton tech. Yeah. Today, right? li- well, well, he wrote he wrote the he wrote for the film uh, Krypton. Right. Right. And he did Constantine. Uh, so yeah, no, definitely. He definitely has a lot to do with like, uh, film, film, uh, not film, uh, sci-fi comics, mm-hmm. things like that. So this is definitely within his wheelhouse. So, uh, you know, having seen the first three episodes, where would you rate your interest so far? Like, as far as like one to 10, do you, do you feel like you're really invested in the show at this point? I think I was going to be like around a seven, um, just because mm-hmm. it's unique enough that the characters are very well acted very well done like i love lee pace as the as the emperor uh, cleon 
he's doing an amazing job. Jared Harris, like I said, from Chernobyl, if I see him attached to any project, I'm instantly going to be gravitated towards it because of how well he approaches it. And the fact that it's sci-fi and it's a dense, deep, heavy sci-fi that they're adapting and they're not picking, like, not belittling like anything else, uh, like Philip K. Dick, how his work has been redone so many times and they've done Total Recall, Blade Runners, a lot of his stuff has been adapted already. So doing Asimov, it, it, you, you have to have a set of courage and cojones to do this type of thing. So the yeah. simple fact that they're challenging themselves to bring this to the small screen, it's, it's unique and it's different from everything else on television. Yeah. And just having a straight up sci-fi show like this is, I love sci-fi. Like that's one of the most underrated forms of television and I'm I'm digging it. Um seven is a good thing. The first three episodes have really got me into it. Like today I was first thing I did when I got to work was like, okay, cool. I have like 50 minutes now. Let me just knock out half of the episode and then I'll yeah. knock out the other half when I get another chance. Yeah. It's uh it's it's definitely like um when you were talking about like sci-fi and how broad this is, one of the few things I had heard about this series before this show even came out was how unadaptable it was. So yeah. when people would talk about adapting, uh, uh, you know, Asimov's Foundation series, it was viewed like a holy grail of like, of like this unadaptable yeah. thing that seems so esoteric and so fit for for novelization that it wasn't going to translate to TV well. And you know, having seen three episodes, I can kind of see where that was as far as like the time jumps and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's very hard to visually portray um, on screen and stuff. So uh, I think yeah, courage is a really good uh, a really good word for it. I think people are probably going to be a lot critical of any changes to such a beloved like novelization and, and series and stuff like that. So you're not going to please everybody, but I think given the challenge it was to, to like how how big of a challenge it is to try to adapt this. Um, I, I'm enjoying it tremendously so far. I'm very invested. I would probably give it an eight or nine out of 10 as far as like my okay. investment. I'm very like, I'm very, I have a, I have a very, uh, strong will to see the end of the season through at least. So, um, I, and I, and I, I'm looking forward to the episodes too, especially the last one I think was the last one I think was probably my favorite. The one that we saw episode three, we'll definitely get into that and dive into it a little yeah. more, but I do want to start with episode one. And the first thing I want to start with too, that I don't think a lot of people talk about is the title sequence. What yes. did you think about the title sequence? Um, I, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was good. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, I wish we could be like, Oh, here it is. And just like have it play in the yeah, background. Yeah, that would be but cool. no, the, like the title sequence was really unique. It was, it was different. So I, I liked it. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, and I I like it as well. I I'm a little lukewarm on the theme, the music. It doesn't seem catchy to me. Like I don't know. It, it it's probably something that as the show goes on will probably grow on me, um, as as it goes on. But uh, I think Bear McCreary does the score, and I really like uh, some of his work. I think he did like the score for like Ten Cloverfield Lane, and he's done some video game oh. work, and all that kind of stuff. Um, he he was a composer on Battlestar Galactica. I didn't I didn't realize that either. So that makes sense that you know they bring him back for that kind of thing as well. So nice. Um, he did some Walking Dead work. So he's done a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of stuff that uh, that I like. Uh, so I was kind of psyched when I saw that he was a composer on this. But the the title theme. Um, like there wasn't a, there wasn't a lot to grab onto as far as the melody is concerned. And usually like you know how like uh title scenes usually they want to get you in the frame of mind for the show. So that might be intentional because this is such kind of a vague, uh, big scale show that there's not like, I don't know. It kind of gets you in, it yeah. kind of gets you in a vast headspace, if that makes sense. So I guess that might be, that might be the the intention behind it at least. Yeah, but, no. 
yeah like because like um almost every great show that we talk about like they have like a unique um title sequence unique uh theme song like the walking mm-hmm. dead very unique uh battlestar galactica very unique uh game of thrones very unique right. uh westworld another one exactly so, yeah. yeah so like having having a the title sequence that correlates with the show and correlates mm-hmm. with what's happening in the animation or the the visuals usually determines if the show is going to be good or not um unfortunately you never hear of a great show having a bad title sequence and yeah yeah and, and again it might be it might be something that just grows on you like the, the reason the reason for that might not be that it's objectively like episode one it was objectively a good title sequence for everybody but as the things happen with the show you start to kind yeah. of feel some kind of ownership of it as you're going through the journey so uh, it might be something that just grows on me i don't dislike it i just remember thinking like i wish there was more of a hook or more of a catch to the theme yeah. to where like you kind of hum it you know every now and then or something like, i don't know it just seems like that would I'm, be important i don't know i'm nitpicking it's not it's not a huge deal but it's just kind of well, to um, to be fair, you have the like, the Game of Thrones like dun, 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 yeah. dun, 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 and you're like, okay, I get that. And The Walking Dead is like, yeah. has, or even has, Breaking Bad had like a like yeah. a really cool like you know hook. I was gonna it. bring, yeah, I, I I get you, I get what you mean. Yeah, uh, where it has the chorus is just gets you like it's like okay, I, I I'm in it. I you guys yeah. got me. So. Um, after the title sequence, we open up on episode one. I believe episode one. I'm gonna see if I can get the title for it. The here. Emperor's Peace. The Emperor's Peace. Episode one was directed by Rupert Sanders. It was written by David S. Goyer and Josh Friedman. That came out on September twenty uh, fourth year. So that episode uh, opens. It's kind of just the like a broad strokes about the episode is it's the story of Gail Dornick. I believe um, she yeah. is leaving uh, her homeworld of Synax. And because she has won some kind of uh, kind of Willy Wonka esque like algorithm thing, you know. Yeah, she answered like the on. It's kind of like Goodwill Hunting, where like, who answered this impossible math question? It's like, oh, it was the janitor out over there. So yeah, right off the bat, I was like, yo, this has Goodwill Hunting vibes. Yeah, it does. Yeah, the the janitor was the one that answered the unanswerable math question. Right, right. So she's from kind of a nondescript uh, kind of draconian backwards world that doesn't you know they they believe in some pretty regressive yeah, they, things at least um yeah and they don't is like forbidden and right they don't value math and science so to, for her to come from that world is a really big contrast um so she wins that she leaves her family to go work with this enigmatic uh kind of big iconic figure in harry selden he's a professor at i, I guess a very prestigious school on the main um planet of trantor i believe is is what it's called trantor um so she goes to work with him she she values his work and stuff and she's one of she and him are the only two people that can understand uh what we're about to get into too which is this psycho history or this kind of like uh it it reminded me a lot i don't know if you had watched there's an fx show called devs it was done by alex garland who did um who did annihilation and ex machina and and those things sounds familiar but yeah, it's it's called devs, and uh, the whole show is based on determinism, which is just like we exist on these tram lines where uh, no matter what we do, it's been it's already been predetermined. And it's there's, like there's uh, Minority no Report. For, yeah, choice is an illusion. Everything exactly like Minority Report. Everything's yeah. predetermined. So it really dives into that concept. But psychohistory is apparently uh, if we can f- we can follow the pa- the patterns of the past, we can predict the future, which is kind of just a basic theme of science. And uh, you know we can dive into more. Uh, uh, more of that overall theme as we go into it but yeah um i thought that that was uh or i i 
so when they do the psychohistory thing, I thought that was really interesting. Um, and Jared Harris does come off like an enigmatic kind of, uh, kind of uh, eccentric, you know, professor. So I thought that was really cool casting. But yeah, it's just the story of her moving from her home world to Trantor and uh, kind of learning about uh, this stuff. But it starts, the pace starts very quickly. Like once she gets to Trantor, they obviously do the conceit of you're going to be arrested tomorrow. And like, it starts the whole chain of events that are, that are going to lead that really quickly. Yeah, no, it was really, yeah. When they, when they first brought her like, yeah, by the way, you're getting arrested the moment you land on Trantor is like the hell. Yeah. And one of the things I liked about the first episode was um, when, when she's leaving her, her family was like, Hey, you're a heretic because you believe in science, Mm -hmm. you believe in math and all this stuff. And it touched upon a lot of the views of society today. Like, I know it's going to be like yeah. a, kind of like a deep dive and we need to kind of make it like a more condensed uh, summary of the first two episodes. Right. But it really did touch upon like the stuff that Battlestar Galactica touched upon of mm-hmm. society, how society is viewed. And when they went to, when she said it, that I, I was going to be killed on my home planet anyway, you saved me, but you also damn me again. That Right no matter what I was screwed. So I have to go along with you. And you knew this mm-hmm. and she figures that out with the psychohistory where she's uh, like, you already knew that all this was going to happen. And yeah, so to a degree, yeah. to a degree. So he always says like, I don't know the specifics, but I can kind of wrap my head around um, the broad strokes of what, what I think is going to happen um, based on, based on pattern. So he's, it's not, it's not as in-depth as devs was in on FX, which, which broke down to like, I know what word you're going to say before you say it, but it's, it just kind of, it, it does more societal kind of, yeah. um, kind of stuff like that. So, um, like with Loki, um, are, are you caught up with Loki or not yet? I, yeah, I think I, f- I finished Loki. Okay. Cause I didn't want to like ruin the ending for you or like part of the ending. Cause well, we uh, can spoiler alert anybody that might yeah, be spoiler. listening to. If you guys um, haven't seen Loki, yeah. uh, maybe skip forward about 30 seconds or something. But it's it's very similar to that where Kang the Conqueror was like, hey, I know what you're going to say before you say it because I've right, seen right. it before. Exactly. So it's really so it's kind of like unique, like it's almost time travel, but it's not time travel. Like you can't predict something that hasn't happened yet, but you could be as close to it as possible. And right. it, it's kind of unique perspective, like you can use math and science to kind of predict certain things that will happen but yeah. you can't be a precise number exactly. precise and for yeah, clarification so it, it's not it's not it's not like it's not like the king and conqueror thing because he kind of knew immediately this is more like harry uses the mathematics and psychohistory and he yeah. has a probability matrix where he says okay there's a high probability that this specific this, thing might happen but we don't know for sure it could be a 60 percent probability in which case it doesn't it's not you know it's, it's almost a 50 yeah. 50 shot at that point so it's it's that kind of thing where he's just using I, mathematical probability matrix and stuff you know Yes, which is foreshadowed in uh, episode three, which we'll get to later. So we'll right. have to definitely circle back to this. Okay. Uh, with episode one, we we got introduced to a lot of the main characters in there. So we got introduced to Race. We got uh, Henry. Race, yeah. Race, uh, Henry, uh, Gail, Dawn, Dusk, and Day. Right. How? I texted you right away. Like as soon as I saw Dusk, I'm like, if Christopher Lee was still around he will be playing him like legit yeah. be playing him and i'm curious who would you have liked to see play dusk Ooh. 
who would I have liked to see him play Dusk? I, you know, it's I really like the actor that they got because oh, yeah, I don't know, good. I don't know, I don't know if you notice it too, but he does feel like an older Lee Pace, right? He does, does. kind of look like an older version of Lee Pace, which I think is really good casting there. I also have seen that actor, I think his name's Terrence Mann. I've seen him in um in a show called Sense 8 on Netflix, and I really liked him. He was an antagonist in that show, and I thought he was he was good in that. So I do like that actor that they got. If I had like dream casting, it's weird because um because I think you have to cast off Lee Pace, right? So you have to cast someone that yeah. would be belie believably be an older version of him. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That's a really tough one. Um, that's that's why I think like he, when I saw that, I was like, that would have been the perfect role because I think Christopher Lee would look like an older Lee Pace. But granted, Christopher Lee, if he were to do this or if he was still around at the time, he would be well, old, well into yeah. the hundreds. Right. But yeah, no, I like Terrence Mann. He was a really good choice for to play Brother Dusk. Yeah, and um, and obviously, I I I love Lee Pace's performance. I think he was brilliantly cast in this. As far as I think, uh, I think what the casting directors realized with him was that he's got such a commanding presence, and yes. this character is obviously, uh, you know, we can talk about the narcissism and stuff like that that obviously comes through with him. But he is a very um, very big commanding person. He gives a lot of yeah. these speeches. He oversees. You know he's he's a king on he's a king of kings he oversees like a galactic empire so yeah. you have to get somebody with that kind of gravitas to be able to pull that role off and i think lee pace was a brilliant uh choice for them there um yeah the casting i think all around was great i, I think jared yes. harris was great for that character i totally buy that 100 percent um what did you think of gail dornick lou labelle i think plays gail gail dornick i i had heard too and and um, this is just from reading online and stuff like that, but I had heard that this was a male role in the book and that it was female in the show. Um, I don't, I didn't really know it didn't feel off to me. So yeah. Um, yeah. I, I thought, I thought she did a good job in the role, but what did you like, think of Lula Bell? I thought she was great. Uh, she nailed the character perfectly. I did not know that it was supposed to be, it was intended to be a male role from the based off upon the book that it was a male character. Mm -hmm. I just assumed that that's just how it was because she, she owned it so perfectly. She did everything. They made it her own. She, like with episode one, you got to see the timid side of her. Where she was very timid. She was very meek because it was a new experience. So you got to see that, and it was a great. And then with episode two, like not jumping ahead, like oh, we're going now. We're on episode right. two, but in episode two, she's more comfortable with her surroundings. She's more comfortable with who she is, being on the ship for so long that mm -hmm. she was able to change her style from being meek and mild to being confident of like, yeah, I know yeah. who I am. So right. I, she did a great job so far. Yeah. I thought she was great. I liked, I liked Raish. I just think he photographs well. I, that the character that plays Raish, I thought, I just think he has like an interesting, uh, an interesting character to him as, yes. uh, as far as like the way he carries himself is and the way he talks and his, um, his appearance. I, he's just an interesting, he, he, I think he, like I said, I think he photographs well. Um, but I, I didn't see anybody in there that I didn't like as far as cast members were concerned. I thought everyone was great. I even liked the, um, the, uh, man, what, I, I forget what religion they are, but the, the priest that, yes. that was there, I thought he was really great. I thought, I thought his character was, was really interesting as well. Um, yeah, forget, I forget what the, um, the religion's called, but it's yeah, something moon or something. It's something weird, but yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, yeah. even the, the casting in this and they're. The two biggest actors, like the two biggest names that we know, that is Lee Pace, and that's really not saying much, mm -hmm. and Jared Harris. Those two are really great, excuse me, are really great actors, but they're not, you tell them, oh yeah, Lee Pace is in it. 
people are like, who the hell is Lee Pace? Yeah. Jared Harris is in it. Who's Jared? Who's that dude? Oh, from Chernobyl. Oh, okay. Yeah, I remember yeah. Chernobyl. <laughs> yeah. So they didn't really go for like the marquee name because since this was also distributed by Apple TV, their shows like you had the morning shows like, oh, Jennifer Aniston, Steve Carell. Yeah. yeah. Uh, C. Oh, Jason Momoa. This was like Foundation. Right. Exactly. Apple. So I but, I really but you get you get big bang for your bucket and Jared Harris and oh. Lee Pace. Like a really big bang for your bucket. And the other thing too is I will say like um those other shows that you mentioned, like morning show and stuff like that, this show is so expensive and so big and it looks so big and expensive that they had to make concessions somewhere. And I think it was with like paying casting. I think if you would have yeah. casted really big names in this, it would have cut into that budget for all of these things, you know, uh, yeah. that, that we see in the show. So I'm really glad they took that route and said, let's get some, let's get some people that uh, deserve a come up and let's get some people that can really uh, chew, chew these roles and make them their own. And then let's yeah. put a lot of this budget into making the show look as beautiful as possible. And um, the show looks gorgeous. Like everything about the show looks gorgeous from the visuals, oh, yeah. to production design and everything like that. Yeah. Um, so I guess let's get let's let's get to the meat and potatoes. Let's get to the yeah. heavy parts of episode one. Yeah. Or was it episode two? Either episode, way, episode one. Well, yeah. The the yeah. I'm sorry. Go ahead for episode. No, one. they they blew up the there's it starts the war. It was that explain. was that one. I or can't was remember. Was, it was either one or two, but yeah, that. Um. Yeah, I, I did have a I did have a, a criticism about that. I'm not sure if that was in episode one or two that that happened though. I think it was episode one. I think you're right. Maybe the end of episode one that they blew it up because the episode two seemed to be about the fallout from that. Yeah, yeah episode two. Yeah, episode two was the fallout because we it showed more stuff. But yeah, no, it was just it blows up and you're going like, whoa. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't supposed to blow. Yeah, it was episode one. So the star bridge okay. blows up. Yeah. yeah, so the star bridge blows up and you're going like, oh, crap. Because you have the delegates from the two worlds that they represent there trying to offer, like, uh, work on trade agreements. And it just opens up more of a political mm -hmm. arena, political theater, because now you go, you have your ambassadors of these two worlds. They give you gifts. They're asking for favors. And two members blow up your beacon of to, your society yeah yeah to um to alleged members yeah <laughs> alleged yeah members. because then yeah. they go yeah because then they go in episode two because they start doing the investigation and it's perfect dialect it's perfect like songs and it's the mythos it's the the culture that they brought into it where it's very politically based it's very historically based it's very mm -hmm. not guerrilla warfare but um fighting fighting against your aggressors right and those are themes that you don't see too often in shows and especially sci-fi shows yeah so bringing that into it was really unique and the visuals just for when they blew everything up was insane crazy yeah it's um the the it was it was a really ins it was a really crazy moment the i the critique i had for it uh was was somewhat nitpicky because it was such an impactful moment but the star bridge felt like this um it felt like this this giant uh you know engineering marvel that the universe had never seen they they kind of like presented that way which it was and i thought for it to kind of blow up that early felt like uh it felt like it could have been and i and again i don't know what the pace of the show is or how it relates to the books but it feels like had that happened in like episode four 
it would have been such a giant like oh my god the star bridge is falling you know but we had just kind of been introduced to it in the show so yeah um while it while they did kind of convey that impact and how it had to the world and stuff it really didn't feel um that impactful to us as an audience because it just seemed like this thing we had just been introduced to got destroyed yeah. so that was my one kind of critique with that but i it's it's not really critique if if i'm judging based on what they're planning to do with the show it's more just a critique on like oh that could have been more impactful had we built that had we built that um that place and that scene up yeah. as as this iconic st power structure you know yeah well i i think what happens is and this is kind of touching upon episode 3 is we didn't see how important the star bridge was until mm -hmm. episode 3 exactly that it was a beacon for the emperors it was beacon for it was a beacon for cleon the 1st who right. was the one that started building it and I, episode 3 touches upon like how important it is and i do agree with you maybe if they did this in episode two where they kind of flash back to because episode two i guess we could combine both episodes i mean yeah yeah because there's, i think so because there's certain things in in episode one that wasn't talked about until episode two where in episode two you have lee pace as a brother day going we need to clean up what happened at the star bridge because our citizens are seeing dead bodies coming through the atmosphere burning yeah. up they, and they said I, he said they only have to look up to see our ineptitude they just have to look up to see the ineptitude yeah. so yeah and if they brought in that sequence where uh cleon the first said like this is my legacy this is who i am mm -hmm. i it would have been more impactful of how important the Starbridge was and to go with what you're saying it would have given the audience like oh crap this is really really important this is why they're going so hardcore on it and going yeah. insane to make sure that it the people who destroyed it are brought to justice yeah because you don't like you don't know they they make vague allusions to it in the first episode where they say like how big it is and i i love the i love the scenes where they're i love that they took the time to do the scenes where they're like oh it takes 14 hours to take the elevator down and you really feel how like how much of an engineering marvel it is and how yeah. uh, how important it is to that society and stuff like that but like you, you know watching the first one you're like are do these exist on every planet like i don't know how common this is like i don't know like yeah. if this is um like you know how big of an how big of an iconic you know structure this is going forward and had i gotten some of that stuff from that we got in episode three where i start to realize that this was the f like the first cleon this was like his legacy his entire yeah. his, his whole legacy and stuff that and and the concept of imperial cloning um it, it would have impacted me so much more when it got destroyed and stuff but um I, like i said i understand like if that's the domino that has to fall at the beginning to to kind of start things in motion i understand kind of kind of taking that route but i did feel this like this kind of longing for like oh i wish i i wish that would have hit me harder that you know yeah. in, in that moment and stuff yeah um last thing about about the destruction of the star bridge because i know we gotta like get, mm -hmm. definitely move on when they were doing the destruction you got to see it like blow up um one of the cars that we got like in first person view of it as it's going down what got me was seeing like the fear and terror on the passengers faces and the, the glass shattering as soon as something hits it that was a really unique perspective because you don't see it from so many that that type of point of view because you always right. see it from like the outside like oh my god look at all the stuff you see it from the inside but you don't see a small selection like a car going down the elevator you never really mm -hmm. see something like that i've seen it destroy the terror the fear so that right. was a really unique perspective that they 
did in episode one that I really enjoyed. Like not their death and demise, but <laughs> no, how I'm sure, they did I'm sure it. you love yeah. that. I'm sure you love oh, yeah. like, seeing all those people die. You're like, oh hell yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> No, uh, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I thought that sequence was very violent. I lo like I said, I love that they show the scope of the small family going through it, or the 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 kind of blue collar worker going yeah. through it in the elevator. That really kind of hits home the the stakes of it, and and makes you feel like, oh wow, these were a lot of people that were murdered and stuff. Because uh, shows like this have a tendency to just throw out, oh, a hundred million people died, a hundred thousand people died. It's just a number, but if you yeah. can show those people in those kind of situations, it makes it hit a little harder. Um, so after the star bridge is destroyed, uh, obviously they think that Harry had something to do with it. Cause he was just on yep. trial talking about how the empire would fall. And then lo and behold, the day after this occurs. So there was obviously some, um, some, uh, suspicion of, yep. of Harry having done this and, uh, they, it, it, the, the whole episode is kind of this interrogation of the two ambassadors and harry and trying to figure out what they're going to do about you know the fallout and how they're going to kind of maintain uh what does he say the um enjoy the peace and the what is the what is the phrase he when when he sees everyone enjoy or uh, uh respect oh, yeah. respect the something and enjoy the peace or something like that I don't, i'm not 100 sure but yeah i, I can't remember what it was they're, they're trying to figure out how to maintain that control of the um of, of the situation so uh, i did want to touch on real quick too to kind of close close out episode one was um the the concept of imperial cloning i thought was super interesting i hadn't yeah. seen that in anything before and i thought that was really awesome and i will say two things thematically so the first one is i thought the idea of the imperial cloning was really cool that there's like a kid and then a middle-aged and an older version and when the older version dies they clone the new version it's just this yep. kind of fulfilling cycle um it also explains the narcissism of the character and and as far as like if if, if any of us had been born in a situation like that we would think our shit doesn't stink and we would be narcissistic so it makes him almost like um it makes him almost even though he's, he's, like he's evil it makes you understand him yeah but you understand yeah. that point of view from him and he doesn't feel like he feels like more of a victim of that circumstance than like an evil person to me so that's yeah kind of what i what i got out of it and um going back like i know we're jumping ahead to see uh episode three mm -hmm. but it's a really neat approach and on how we see it now in episode one to what we see in episode three because there's two things i want to talk about that happen in episode three mm -hmm. when we get there because it yeah because the things that happen in episode one and so right, there's right. two things i want to talk about so i i want to get to episode two now let's <laughs> yeah, go yeah so so the it, it just the last thing thematically before we dive into episode two is is that what i loved about episode setting up with the uh with the trial with harry and um Cle the cleon the cleon um empire the empire i guess is they are foils. So when you talk about like the protagonist and antagonist and how they're foils for each other, they're very similar, but they're extremely different. And that's kind of what makes them hate each other. So what I think is great is that Harry wants to use determinism to set up a foundation of knowledge so that they can push this further into the future. And what I found uh, really kind of poetic about that difference of opinion is that that's what the Cleons are. They are the, each each time a, a kid is born, he's setting up a foundation of new knowledge that's being taught by the past generations and then building upon that into the next dynasty that they're going to be doing. So they have like the same goals. They just have yep. different ways of achieving it. And I think whenever you have protagonists and antagonists as that, um, it makes for a really compelling story and a really compelling, uh, uh, you know, vision and stuff. Yeah, it does. It's like uh, using our, our nerdy stuff that's not sci-fi related, but like it's like Professor Xavier Magneto in the X-Men. Right. They both they both want mutant peace and they both want peace in the world. 
one is working with mankind another one is destroying mankind and it's very unique perspective because they both have the same ideas and goals but they different ways to get there right so so let's go ahead and rock into preparing to live it's episode two it was directed by andrew bernstein and also written by josh friedman and david s goyer so they wrote the first two episodes here um uh, so this is going to be the one where they find they actually talked the Klingon dynasty into being able to set up their foundation, but they have to be exiled to a, a planet far away to do it. So they get kind of exiled yep. away. Terminus. Um, it, Terminus. Terminus is the planet that they end up going towards. So this is the uh, this kind of jumps forward from then to when they're actually on the way to Terminus and they're on the ship and um, and they're kind of building the foundation on the ship and figuring out ways that they're going to establish that once they reach the Terminus, which is gonna take a number of years. I forget exactly how long they said it was gonna take. Um, it was gonna take a number of, of years for them to get from from Trantor to Terminus. Uh, it, it also, like you said, is the interrogation scene where they're trying to figure out the fallout from the star bridge and they're questioning the two um ambassadors one is an, an uh, anacreon and thespis i think are the two yep. the two uh two very different warring um cultures in, in near the terminus systems and uh they are suspected of being uh, involved in the attack so he's there's this kind of very intense interrogation that is going on on cleon about that uh what did you think of episode two um and yeah, what, what kind of stood out to you about that episode? One of the things that stood out to me about the episode was there's more to Gale than what meets the eye. Mm -hmm. Because this is this is one of the things that got me thinking that Gale might be a soothsayer or might be able to see the future or understand psychohistory better than anybody else. Mm -hmm. Because in the first episode, before the starbridge started blowing up, she goes, something's wrong with the starbridge. She looked up and she knew immediately that something was not right. Yeah. In this episode, when she's swimming, she looks up, she immediately noticed that something is not right and she knew all hell was breaking loose. So that really gets me to thinking that Gail might understand psychohistory better than anybody else, better than uh, Harry Salden. Yeah. So it's a really unique way to see how she approaches certain situations. Um so this was really a because it was in two parts because you have so I for me right now the Gale part was really really intriguing because we got to see more of who she really is mm -hmm. in the budget meeting she told them like why do we need to save one one version of counting compared to thousands of other versions of counting because if we look yeah, at the I like that scene. How, and it just shows like how like she comes from a small backwards planet in lack of a better term but they've been on the spaceship for so many years that she was able to catch up to how society really is. Yeah. And they did her really, really good where it, sh it shows that she evolved based on her surroundings and that, that now she's on a starship with other like-minded people that she's evolved to that person. And it harkens back that she saw Starbridge, something's not right, starts blowing up. She's swimming, something's not right. And then all hell breaks loose. Yeah. And, you know, they had been establishing, too, in, in, the, in the episodes that she's been in, that she does this kind of meditative uh, chant yep. where she chants prime numbers and she's been yeah. chanting into the millions and stuff like that. It, I think it's really setting up, you know, if I was to, to forecast forward, it's setting up that she has some kind of superhuman pattern recognition, which is uh, which is why she was able to solve that equation. And she's also just got this uh, 
she like I said, she's got like uh, her pattern recognition is so good that she she intuits when things are are off yep. and things things are maybe skewing from the way that they're supposed to go or something along those lines. So it seems to be setting that up here. Um, I definitely agree. The whole thing with Gail being special was established with that, with her intuition, also with her being able to wake up during the jump drive sequence in the yeah. first episode as well that no one else was able to. Um, and one of the things we didn't touch on in the first one was the whole salvor harden uh thing with yeah. the on terminus and her her as the warden which is is dived into a little more in the next episode that we're going to talk about here but it did establish that there's something special about that character too so yes um so yeah gail gail was definitely it was kind of a um it was kind of a uh yeah it was kind of an episode of establishing her as kind of a, a very special character in there i thought it was great i love the scene where she's talking about base 10 base 12 base 27 yeah. and stuff i thought that was cool because it really highlights how important diversity of perspective is and the fact that she's coming from a less than prestigious world she's able to see things yeah. through a viewpoint that makes a little more sense and it uh it, it really highlights like having having different perspectives in there make make the best decisions uh for the foundation yep. so um i thought that was really cool it also broke down kind of how the ship the foundation works what they're trying to establish you kind of get a real feel for what the goals are there um yep. and and jared harris i thought was really good in the episode as well um did anything else jump out to you i know they obviously had the the execution scene with yes. cleon that i thought was really intense um especially that that you know being as like being as um i guess futuristic and sci-fi as the show is for them to just to hanging i felt was a really bold statement uh in front of the followers and everything like that but what did you think about that whole scene with the interrogation on the cleon side and then the 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 genocide and execution that that followed Yo, that that was crazy because that kind of reminds me of like military punishment where if you screw up, you see everybody else suffer and you mm -hmm. have to bear witness to it. And it felt like that where somebody screwed up on those two planets and the ambassadors go like, it doesn't matter. You guys are here. You're going to have to suffer this. You're going to have to see your home worlds be bombarded and destroyed. And there's nothing you can do about it. Everyone yeah. you know is dead. That's it. And yep. it just really made you feel like the punishment was just you're now left alone. You should have been able to mm -hmm. to figure this this stuff out before anybody else. That's it. You're the last of your kind. Whatever whoever is out there. Right. It really also um it also drove in that point of um I, I don't know if they killed everyone off on those planets because he did say go back home and like tell them why this happened. So I think they killed off yeah. like a giant portion of of their population and stuff like that. But it, it really drove home Cleon's character, either all three of them, Dawn, Day, and Dust, because they are the same, the same kind of person for the most part. But um, it really drove in that everything is about optics and stature for them because they've yes. obviously been raised in this in this recurring dynasty over and over again. So everything is just about how are you perceived to your people and about the optics and stuff. So it didn't matter that maybe none of them were guilty. It was like something happened to us. I have to make a bold statement back. And it really kind of uh, it really kind of fleshed out that idea of of kind of the tit for tat militarily that that occurs in, in the real world, too, where it's just sometimes the um, sometimes the the retribution for something seems to outweigh what actually happened, you know, yeah. to begin with. So, yeah, I thought that I thought that scene was great. I'm trying to think of anything else really, um, really different. Ha I mean, obviously, uh, the way it ended, there was a giant, giant plot thing that, oh, yeah. that we can get to. 
Um, but yeah, there. Oh, oh, the one thing I didn't like about this episode, and I will say too, I think episode two was probably the weakest of the three for me. Um, but I, I understand it kind of had to do a lot of setting up, so it didn't it seem did. that way. But the one thing I've, I've I've disliked in the first in the last two episodes are the uh, the romance sequences. They yeah. feel so they feel so like weird. And it was forced out of place and forced and they feel very derivative. There's nothing really, there's nothing interesting uniting the characters. It's just like, Oh, you're, you're going to like this guy now, even though there's nothing. And then they, they yeah, kind of have these really cheesy romance sequences that I, that I have not liked at all. No, that uh, episode two and one where, which if spoiler alert, ah, um, Gail and Raish are a couple and, it does feel forced. It does feel nowhere. like they're just a couple. Yeah. Okay. And that was the one thing I didn't like between episode one and two was how much it jumped so far ahead without explaining anything. Cause right. Episode one, we know that they're being exiled to terminus. The next mm. thing we know they're aboard the spaceship for years. Now you're going like, what? Oh, oh okay. I guess it's a thing now, but you don't yeah. realize that because you see Gail swimming and Raish is there. And next thing you know, they're banging in the pool. You're like, yeah where where did this develop like you don't see them like interacting you don't see them going like hey you're they're not up, just girl. and they're not just banging in the pool they're intensely in love like they're yeah. just like they're not just having like a fling or like you know screwing around it's like they make they make it so like they're they they've intensely in love their soulmates or something and you're just like how am i supposed to buy that we've only seen them like interact for like two minutes on screen <laughs> to this point yeah. and stuff it felt yeah. I felt a lot of whiplash, and it, it also it also brought up um, the one quick point. It also brought up that unadaptable thing where I was like, "Wow, if 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 we're in a TV show, which is generally just an eight hour long season, and there's a lot of seasons to come, and they yeah. feel the need to speed through this, you, I I can see now why people thought this was so unadaptable for TV because it feels it does feel like whiplash. Yeah. Like you, you had the first one, and then you're like, "Wow, what is happening? This seems so fast." Yeah, and one of like. It kind of touches into episode three because they do have the, like the time jump and things like that. But like with episode two, you kind of see some like the after effects of what happened when Starlight, uh, the Star Bridge. I'm always going to get it confused. Uh, the Star Bridge explodes. Mm -hmm. So you see that in episode two, you see the after effects, you see them on the ship. And you kind of have like have a sense of time and it kind of makes sense. But you don't know where in the timeline you are because. Right. Like for them to be madly in love in an intense relationship, you know that's been years or months, but you don't feel it. You feel like it's like the mm -hmm. next day or like a few weeks later that all this stuff is happening. And when you're still dealing with the ramifications of the executions, the bombardment, they're on the outer rim. Like, how long did it take? How long were they investigating this? Like, it just yeah. felt like there wasn't, they didn't establish a timeline or a time frame. Yeah. And that's was the most jarring thing because when you get into the episode, she's swimming in a pool. And they're talking about careers and months and like how they were been on the ship for so long. You never felt like you never felt like that you've been on the ship with them. You just felt like right. you just kind of like popped in and you're supposed to know what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and part of me likes that part of me likes the not handholding and just you're in it and let's try to catch up kind of thing. Um, but yeah, part of me, especially with the emotional relationship stuff, is just like this wasn't earned. I feel like I feel like this is just like they're trying to shove this down our throats, and like there was no there was no kind of setup for it and stuff. So you know, I was I was really critical of that. But the um the episode so the episode goes into at the end, which is this jarring conclusion. You know, going into episode three, um, is 
she's swimming she's counting prime numbers she feels something off like you said she intuits that yep. something is off in the universe she gets out and she goes to harry's office and she finds her soulmate at this point Raish, um has stabbed jared harris's character harry selden in the in the heart and he's dead yeah. Um, and she is not supposed to be there. So when when Raish was so um, adamant that what are you doing here? You're not supposed to be here. It made me seem like this is something that Harry uh, was aware of, because yeah. it seems like something where he said, this is what's going to happen. This is what's going to happen. And she threw a wrench in the entire situation. But um, did you get Which, that feeling, too, that this was like orchestrated by Harry, that he knew he was going to die and this was how it's going to happen? But he, he thought that this had to happen to set up a certain outcome no but it did mm -hmm. touch upon something that they said in this episode at the end uh, uh dealing with the vault mm -hmm. how they weren't able to um uh, predict or and, take and real quick for, the, for those who don't know the vault the the thing on terminus the big sci-fi yeah. object that has a null field around it it was one of the first things introduced in the show but it's this in this big uh mysterious uh kind of reminds me of the monolith from 2001 it, yeah it's it's just a monolith yeah. there and nobody knows what it's there for but right. it has but a yeah. null field but go ahead what was the what was the point about that was that no one predicted that the character the main character from uh episode three would not be affected by that null field right and i think that correlates with like how uh harry was able to almost predict the future but like there's always going to be gaps there's always going to be like uh, probabilities that you just hope will never affect it and I, that should be one ones where like they harry had to die and Raish was like she'll never know if i kill him because i could just whatever so it it, it shows that you, nothing's predictable like everything's still up in the air right and, yeah, it, it, it gives yeah. the illusion that nothing's predictable. But I, again, I feel like I feel like Harry, I, like, I don't I don't think race just killed Harry. <laughs> like, I feel yeah. like there was more to it where it's like he knew he was going to die. And this is how it had to happen, because it had to set into a, set into course some kind of event that's going to, um, I guess, what they were going for in the first episode was minimize the the time that yep. they're in uh -oh. sh they're in shitty a shitty war stricken world go you know? from like a thousand years to 500 years <laughs> right right so i think this was orchestrated by him he knew too much about what was happening and to kind of not see this coming but um it was definitely a shocking occurrence i didn't expect that to happen in episode two um i'm uh, i i hope jared harris is still involved in some capacity he'd be at flashbacks or something along those lines because i think he's a brilliant actor but it was definitely yeah. a shocking moment for me yeah and uh, episode two uh, outside of the death of harry most of it was kind of you just saw the how the day-to-day -day life was on the ship you saw the how it was on um synax and just things like that oh no you know synax is where gail came from uh trantor yeah where like trantor being part of the emperor seeing how they were how they viewed society the one thing that really got me interested and you talked about romances and you talked about relationships mm -hmm. Um, and I think this might be a good segue to episode three, depending on like how you want to go with it. But the relationship with the Cleons or like uh, brother Dawn, Dusk, Day, and the android, like that is such a unique relationship. And you kind of see it in episode one and two where she dots on uh, Dawn, where she's babying him, always mm -hmm. being there with him no matter what. And then with episode three, she's always with dusk mm -hmm. and it kind of like makes you think like how is she having all this time to be with 
one and the other at this simultaneously. Right. And I think that touches upon with what we talked about with like the relationships. And all of a sudden you're like, you're supposed to like, okay, yeah, they're in love. Just, you know, they're in love. Just go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, so it was established, I think in episode two, that she was a, she's an, she's an Android or she's like a yeah. robot. There's also, there's also a sub, a sub line about, or a, uh, what's the uh, subplot about? Yeah. Uh, the Android how, war. Yeah. Yeah. The, how AI is like, is like, um, doesn't exist anymore because of something that happened in the past. They have, they haven't really alluded to specifics, but her kind, she's like the last of like the androids that they use for her. But, um, what I got from that is that she's a matriarchal figure that exists through all the timelines with them. And she's like a, she's like a mother figure for them as they go through this yeah. uh, imperial cloning thing. Um, so I, I, I like the actress. I thought she was, I thought she was oh, really she good. At it. It. She's fantastic. But yeah, you start, you do kind of question like how, how exactly all of this works. I remember one of the things that I questioned too, was I was just like, do they just not have sex? They don't have like heirs or like any kind of family aside from themselves. I'm wondering if they're like sterilized at birth because they need to focus on their duties as Imperial command or something yeah, like that. But like, you think like they'll have concubines and different things right. like that. Because you see how like egotistical, how mm -hmm. like, I'm forgetting the the word um, narcissistic. They are narcissistic because because yeah. you see that in episode three a lot. Because when they go to uh, the Starbridge, like the remaining Starbridge, and they see the first recorded video of Cleon the first, you see uh, at that time, brother, who we knew of from episode one and two, brother Don. Now is brother Day. Uh -huh. You see him like man, he was majestic. He was like oh, so powerful. And it's like, that's you. That is yeah, yeah. a version of you. And you can see them admiring themselves. Or like, man. That... <laughs> well, and it just, yeah. That's what I was going to say, too, is the height of narcissism would be if they, if when they come of age, they screw each other. <laughs> Bro, it reminds me so much of, um, of American Psycho. the height Psycho. of narcissism. Like uh, American Psycho where Patrick Bateman had to have mirrors while, while he was like with right. uh, prostitutes. And he would just look at himself like doing his thing. It just reminded me of that. I was like, yo, I don't think these guys love anyone but themselves. Yeah. So, I, and, and that's, and, 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 and that's what I'll say too, is I get that. I get that too. And I, and I get that that's a very, very unlikable trait for a character. It's just weird because a uh, Lee Pace is such a likable as an actor for, for that yeah. character too. But also I get it. Cause I'm like, dude, if I was raised and I was the seventh line of me, because I just keep making myself because I'm such a smart, fucking awesome person. Like, I would, I would, I would be such a dick. You know what I mean? I would be such yeah. an amazing, amazing asshole. So it's this weird thing where like, I kind of feel for them. Cause I'm like, they never had a chance to be a nice person because when you're born, just constantly told that you're the king of the galaxy and that you're yeah. so important that when you die, they're going to make another of you to just keep going over and over again. That's just the height of like, you know, padding someone's ego. So yeah. the fact that they had that ego doesn't, isn't, isn't at all weird to me. I'm just like, oh, well, yeah. that makes sense that he would just kill random people all the time. Cause he's, they're ants to him. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. And it's crazy. Like when you say that, because this is what I wanted to touch upon was in episode, in this episode, we saw that Cleon the first was so pissed off that he wouldn't get credit for completing the star bridge. Yeah. And you see him like, and he's talking about it. He goes, this is my legacy and I will never see it complete. Right. And so my successor is going to get the credit for it and not me. And mm -hmm. that just ties in so well with his, even though it is you just, it's not yeah. you, but it is, you're still a bitch about it. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah. <laughs> and it just, and, and that's like really 
goes deep, deep, deep into like the egotistical, narcissistic nature of who he is as a person and as a, right. and as a character that yeah. he doesn't realize that he's such a son of a bitch. Part of my French right. until yeah. he's about to die, where he's like, "I did this all wrong," and you don't see that until when Brother Dusk or no, is it Brother? No, it's um. Oh, what's the last one? Brother know, Darkness. You can't, you can't keep track. Yeah, Brother Darkness. Yeah. yeah. When Brother Darkness is about to walk into like the incinerator ray, he doesn't realize that his entire life was meaningless and pointless until he's about to evaporate because he realized he did nothing. He has right. done nothing for society. Yeah. All he did was just keep bringing the same traditions, just keep doing the same things over and over and over. And it was nothing new, no advancement of technology yeah, yeah. because. And you think about like the Star Bridge. Okay, the Star Bridge was built over thousands upon years ago. That was still like their crowning achievements. Like we built mm -hmm. the Star Bridge, and it's like, right. well, did you guys do anything else? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, so that that kind of brings us to episode three. So episode three, we're gonna kind of dive into that here. That is gonna be the most recent one. That's the most we're mo yes. the one we're most fresh on. That's gonna be the Mathematician's Ghost, um, which I think is a really cool um, title for that, considering what the episode was. Uh, this yes. is my favorite episode of the three, I think, so far. I really like the first one, but I think this one's probably my favorite. This one was directed by Alex Graves. It was written by Olivia Purnell, and it came out today, actually. So oh, it came out earlier uh, today. Before I forget, uh, mm -hmm. the director for episode one, uh, Rupert Sanders, mm -hmm. we didn't talk about this, and this is my fault. Mm -hmm. He did Ghost in the Shell. Oh, cool. So he is he is familiar the, with The American version? Like the... Un yeah, the Scarlett Johansson. Like, you almost say unfortunately. <laughs> um, yeah, unfortunately. But <laughs> but it works because it's a sci-fi show that he was... It, right, right. He's into sci-fi. It had um, great effects too, that movie, if I remember correctly. So, um, Alex Bernstein, he did a lot of like uh, shows. He's done The, the Get Down, Ozark, uh, Pan Am, Battle oh, Creek, cool. Fear the Walking Dead, The Outstar. So he has a... He knows these type of shows. So he's the traditional television director, knows mm -hmm. how to get in, get out get it done um alex graves his career he's done a lot of tv shows mm -hmm. uh one of his big shows was uh ultra carbon so it's another oh, okay. so it's another director that's familiar with sci-fi so one thing right, so right. far that uh foundation has gone right is the directors no sci-fi they've done sci-fi right. before so they could they understand the medium so that's been a really cool thing mm -hmm. and i think that's actually helped some of the shows but yeah sorry i didn't mean to like from yeah no no like, that's that's great yeah because i think that's a through line if all of those if all of those directors a lot of them have have kind of basis in sci-fi they completely understand that and and that kind of leads into i think a lot what a lot of those directors do it kind of leads into um not just episode three but all the episodes the production design i think has been really yeah. really interesting what i really love is that they are not using anything digital i don't know if you've no. noticed that too there's no dials there's no like or not there's no dials there's no like um there's no screens there's no readouts yes. and all that kind of stuff everything is very tactile and analog it's one of the things i really loved about blade runner 2049 when it came out was oh um, beautiful movie right so when the first when the first blade runner came out it took place in 2019 i think and yeah. um when 2049 was being adapted they said okay well if 2019 we didn't have screens then because in blade runner they just used like analog equipment we would just see extensions of that about 30 years so they didn't rely on anything coming up with screens or like all these all these kind of different stuff they made these tactile physical analog props that i yeah. thought were gorgeous for that movie and really made it feel different and they're doing that in this one as well i i, yeah. I try i almost tried to look for screens and dials and all that kind of like uh i keep saying dials like digital readouts and um, yeah. I, I didn't find any anywhere. They were all just very tactile. They used the sand and all that kind of stuff. I thought it was really cool. Yeah. And um, 
in this episode, we got to see them argue about a clock. Like, what is the best way to measure time? A water right. clock or a sundial? And that really shows how deep in that they're thinking about how are we going to preserve mankind? How are we going to preserve knowledge? Like, which clock will work better? And they and, discussed yeah. it. And, and it which was is, really... Which unique. is most likely to be to survive if yeah. something happened, you know? Yeah. So... And using that, and it wasn't, they did not CGI a water clock or a sundial. You actually saw a real sundial and a real water clock. And you're right. going, okay. And and, and and a digital readout wasn't even an option. Like when they yeah. said like, oh, what's a clock? It wasn't even an option. So I don't even know if that even exists as a technology in the world at all. I don't even think they're capable of that or they've thought of that. But yeah, sundial and water clock is a great summation of the point I'm making, which is just using these very analog physical tech uh, a, it makes the movie feel so much more sci-fi. It makes it feel yep. so much more, um, so much more thought out. You know, because the easy way would just be to have a control room with a bunch of screens. Yeah, you know, that'd be the easy thing to do. Yeah, and then like a battery that never runs out. Like, oh yeah, this device right. never runs out of power, so you can right. use it forever. It's like, okay, cool. That defeats the purpose of what you're doing by rebuilding, by building a foundation that society could come back to. Because right. if it's if you can create technology that can never be destroyed, then why are you doing what you're doing? Exactly. Yeah. So I, I uh, really like that. So the episode three starts. Um, it does a lot of time jumps in this one. So you have oh, this is a very God, one yes. you have to pay attention to. I think it starts 400 years prior with Cleon the one. He's talking about um, his legacy, like you said, about the Star Bridge and all that stuff. Yep. And the matriarch, I forget the character's name. Do we have that? Like the character's name for that that kind of maternal figure? Um uh, ye, give me one second. I, uh, so Demerzel, uh, yep. Demerzel. Yeah. So Laura, Laura, Laura Byrne plays Eto Demerzel. She is the, uh, emperor's last surviving androids from the ancient robot wars. It says, so he's sitting with her and she's kind of, uh, she's kind of the, um, she's kind of the mother, the matriarch. She's also the advisor to them as well. So she kind of acts and puts on all those hats, but she's talking to him about his legacy. Uh, and, and it really focuses on brother dusk. So Terrence Mann's role in this is very, uh, expanded, uh, it's really half an episode about him and half an episode about Salvo Hardin uh, on on Terminus. Um, but I thought he did a fantastic job in the episode. I love seeing the lore of how the Imperial cloning stuff works being yes. kind of unraveled for us and the different um, the different uh, traditions and stuff that they follow and rituals that they follow throughout that process. Uh, I love kind of them peeling back that that uh that layer of of storytelling there so um yeah. i thought i thought that was great it starts with that then it jumps 400 years in the future where we have another brother dusk yeah you know it's it's really hard and, and again it goes into that unadaptable feeling it's really hard yeah. to figure out where you are in space because they're clones so there's nothing to differentiate one from the other yeah like, am i looking at cleon one or am i looking at cleon 14 i have no fucking idea you know yeah exactly and like with like how we went with Brother Dusk, we got to see how like the cloning cycle works. That it's brother, you have brother Dawn, brother Day, brother Dusk, and brother Darkness. Mm -hmm. And as soon as brother Darkness, as soon as brother Darkness comes around, okay, brother Dawn is born, and then each one moves on to their into their new role. Yeah, and and it's and it's really unique. Like I I know I said it before, but when you see brother Darkness, where he comes to terms with who he is. Mm -hmm. You see the change of from when he was Brother Day to Brother Dawn, that he realizes that he doesn't need to be such a jackass. He doesn't need to be so strict. He doesn't need to be so formulaic, formulaic, so regulated that he could just be chill, understand mm -hmm. the the vibes. Because you see him where like the the seamstress is like messing up, like trying to like do the suit, and you see him like 
fidgeting. He goes, give the girl a shot. Yeah, he's he's much more forgiving and not as egotistical. He's essentially he's matured, and it's yeah. really sad that it takes him until he's about to die to do that. Yeah, but. because you see, in the earlier episodes, when the painter was just talking to Harry Sullivan, he mm-hmm. kills him just like right. <clears throat> you're dead. I you're 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 useless to me. The mm-hmm. two ambassadors. He's like, I'm going to kill you. You see them like he's just uh, bring the whip. Just yeah, yeah. Any violence will be the answer, but then. He's facing death, and you just see a complete change of person. And yeah. it, that was the unique thing where you just see him like with the seems like he's scared, he's nervous. Any other time, he's like dead, done, get yeah, rid yeah. of him. He's yeah. like, no, nah, just bring the girl. Let's go. Let's see what she could do. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it's really likable too. I thought it was really powerful, like you said, and and even when he at the end scene, uh, you know, they they don't they don't hit you over the head with the themes. It really comes through in the performance yeah. and stuff as well, and the dialogue. But he's holding. Cleon, the next Cleon, the baby, yeah, and he's holding him a little longer. And I got from that that he's questioning whether this is the good idea, whether yep. this whole thing of hit because, like you said, when he thinks back to himself dealing with people, like either blowing up the the guy that yeah did the, the painting or killing those ambassadors, even though they most likely didn't have anything to do with the attacks. When he thinks back to that, he's obviously second guessing that now because he's forgiving yeah. to the guy and he's saying maybe this is this isn't the way to go. So. I think he's he's kind of resenting his past self. So he's looking at himself as a kid and he's saying, is this really like, are we just going to keep doing this? You know? Yeah. Um, and, and kind of questioning that. And I thought that was a really powerful scene. The whole the whole thing about the, the way that they do the ritual and stuff like that and him walking into the light. I thought it was really interesting that they have a finite life cycle. So I thought it was yeah. really interesting that like there's a day where they reach a certain age and they just kill themselves as opposed yeah. to just living to where they die of natural causes. Um, I thought that was really compelling and it kind of just puts a bow on the entire cloning sequence of it's just a loop, you know? Yeah. And what gets me is like, and this is where we get to see like how, how big of a character, um, uh, what's her name? Uh, Eto is the, the Android. Mm-hmm. Cause she goes, I never forget. I never forget. I never forget. And she, how cavalier she was when brother darkness came in and like seeing how the cloning process was. Yeah. And she goes, oh, we we don't allow anyone to come see the cloning process. But she does nothing to stop him. She's like, but come on in. Let's yeah, watch yeah. it. Right. So it's yeah. a really, you got to see that for the first time where where you start questioning, like, whose side is she really, is she on? Because at this point, you now see that she's Brother Darkness's, like, confidant, that she was always with him the entire way. Yeah. But in the first two episodes, you saw it was Brother Dawn that she was always with. Yes. She's going to be a really interesting character going forward as far as she's she has the ear of all of them. She understands the inner workings of them to a degree that I don't even think they do because she's she's mothered iterations of them past for generations. So she knows things about them that I don't even think they know about themselves. And um, she's going to be a really interesting character because of her background with uh, with the kind of A.I. wars that they allude to and all that kind of stuff. There's obviously some kind of motivation or something for her to potentially not be as trustworthy as they're kind of letting on in these seasons and stuff as well so i think she's going to be a really important linchpin going forward as far as like what they're going to um how how things are going to happen and they allude to in this one too as as far as jumping forward where you see another brother don and he's erasing the um the mural the the famous mural and he's erasing it and it looks like this is happening towards the fall that harry has um has established and stuff yeah. and stuff as well. So they're hopping around at different times. It's really hard to keep, keep yeah, your that's... head in one space. Um, yeah, I that's... think I followed it, but I, I, I'm i still not 100% sure. It's probably an episode that we, we would need to rewatch to really understand. For where. sure. 
Where it was too many place? too many time jumps because it went for like 19 years 400 years 36 years <laughs> right. like it wasn't like an exact like okay we know where we're going here we're, it was just way too all over the place where yeah but the themes of this episode i feel they hit more pronounced because um it's life death legacy that, mm-hmm. that type of stuff right and very few sci-fi shows talk about this type of things because the history of sci-fi shows is normally more along the lines of like happy-go-lucky. They don't really touch upon like deep-rooted themes. Uh, mm-hmm. Very few sci-fi go that route. Like Blade Runner was one that talked about uh, free will, determinism, what is life. What is human, uh, the ma- yeah. yeah, Matrix kind of talked about like what do we perceive as real and what is the real world. A lot of Alex and, Garland's stuff dives into the philosophy, yeah, philosophy I mean, and stuff too. Uh, Arrival was a mate. Mm-hmm. Did Alex Garland do Arrival? No, Alex Garland did. Um, he did Annihilation. He did Ex Machina. I, that's yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like Annihilation, and Ex Machina were two amazing films that I really do think me and you need to do a deep dive on those two. On a yeah, different... that'd be fun. I love. Because, I love both of those movies. But you see those things, and like they touch upon themes, but you could probably count on both hands sci-fi films that really touch upon these type of stuff of what life legacy, like with Brother Darkness. He realized like, hey, maybe we need to stop this cloning thing to let mm-hmm. society move on because we're keeping it in the past. But when we get to um, the future where they're on the uh, terminus, you see how society has evolved to a completely different thing where it's just a natural order, like replacing, but it's not the same person replacing the same task. Like the warden of terminus is viewed as this powerful position mm-hmm. and if Cleon was still in charge, he would just put himself always in charge of the warden. Yeah. But they handed it all over to somebody else. And you see a different approach to how they're going to protect the colony, protect the stuff. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it does touch upon like all of these things. And this episode, uh, the mathematician ghost, it sucked timeline, like putting everything in the timeline, but yeah, it really did make you think about what, is a society what makes the society great is it just the same reliving the same glory days or moving Mm -hmm. on and suffering the ebbs and highs of what society really is where sometimes it's really good sometimes it's really bad yeah i um i you know and and i want to get into the second half of this too with salvo harden before i kind of go over my overall theme oh yes things i picked up on the themes for the show so they they cut to Salvo Harden on Terminus, and this is the this is the warden, um, the person that is kind of special uh, as far yeah. as her relationship to the Null Field, which is that um, that the the uh, the vault, I guess, the um, the monolithic item on that on that she has some kind of she has some kind of special relationship to it. She's able to kind of uh, what's that? Yo, okay, so. Oh, I was like, am it, I spoiling something? Because this is no, 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 I'm not <laughs> okay. spoiling something. It, uh, my synapses connected something. So in yeah, episode yeah. two, we saw that they were talking about like the fertile eggs and things like that, and how mm-hmm. one of the cast or one of the crew members was pregnant, and she said that I, I wanted to feel like a baby girl inside of me. I want to know the experience just because we don't oh, know yeah, if we're going to yeah. survive or not. Could, um, what's her name? Uh, Salvador. Salvador. Salvor, Salvor, could mm-hmm. Salvor be a descendant from Gale, and that's why the Nullfield doesn't affect her? Um, possibly. Like again, I don't know because I, I think if you like broke down the chronology, I don't know. She seems 
she seems like she's older, right? Like maybe mid twenties, thirties, something like that. She doesn't seem but too that's young, right? Thirty six years after they landed onto Terminus. Is it okay? Because I thought it was yeah. like thirty six years from when they were traveling to. Like that's the thing is like I don't understand the timeline per se. It's definitely possible. Like I can see there's something there's something different about Salvor as far as her um, her relationship to to the Vault and stuff like that. So it is possible that maybe she's a descendant. There's a million different like theoretical yeah. possibilities about what could be happening. Um, I maybe yeah, I, maybe I, I, maybe yeah. if we do a um if we do an episode where we just dive into like what we think possible theories might be because we could do that for like probably four hours with the show. Oh, but... uh, dude, God, yeah, this is. <laughs> yeah. So no, I, yeah, you, you were just talking about certain things because then I remembered in episode two they were talking about like the the eggs and like how she's like, are you going to report that you're pregnant? Right, and, right. And right. there's a scene where like she's drinking wine. She's like, oh, pass me the wine, and Gail's like, you're pregnant. Why are yeah. you drinking wine? And she still does it anyway. Right. And it just clicked like, yo, maybe Salvor and Gail have something, have a connection. They're connected somehow. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway. To that too with her, with, yeah. with in this one, with her seeing if she's able to mathematically uh, kind of do the same thing that Gail did. So, um, and have that, that kind of same special quality to yeah. her. But they, they, they show her. Um, so now there's this big bustling um, colony at this point for the foundation. This is kind of 36 years, like you said, into the future, I believe. Um, so they're showing this bustling colony. She is the warden of the wild. She's essentially like the hunter that kind of keeps beasts and all that kind of things out of the colony and protects the colony from any kind of natural occurrences that occur on Terminus. Um, and uh, she's establishing that she has a fascination with this vault she's somehow she's drawn to it as a kid and all this kind That's of stuff the like age that. of four i love the actor that plays her dad i love him in everything oh, yeah. he does he is awesome i, I want to get his name actually um because i i really do like that actor i think this was episode three it was uh, uh clark peterson clark, or peterson. clark peters it's clark, clark peters. peters sorry yeah i love i love clark peters i love that he's playing her dad in this um this was a fun episode it's uh peter clark sorry peter clark peter clark okay um i love this episode mainly because this one feels like the first episode that kind of slows down and you really get to kind of flesh out the world and the lore behind it even on terminus kind of how everything works uh as far as like how the society how the society works what their job roles are kind of the more day-to-day stuff it's not as much of a whiplash fast thing especially in the earlier episodes with the cleon thing you're able to kind of see more of the day-to-day of how this kind of this kind of imperial cloning system works and kind of they flesh that out so i like this episode in that it slowed things down but with salvor harden um her her character is trying to figure out halfway through the episode we're trying to figure out why the null field is expanding something has happened with the vault and the null field is expanding and we don't know what's causing it but at the same time that this occurs they find out that there are enemy ships in the in the in the atmosphere hovering above the surface and they're trying to figure out why that is and, and kind of what that's regarding. Yep. So um, that kind of sets up this episode for her character. And um, I liked I liked all of that stuff. I thought that the I, I really loved the production design of the colony and yes. how how I was just like, how did they shoot all this? Like, I don't know if they're doing like the Mandalorian thing with like the, yeah. you know what I mean? But I was just like, how are they no, shooting all this, this stuff? This was filmed in Ireland. Wow, man. That's it. The yeah. sets. The sets must have been gigantic, gigantic for this show. What, um, what I liked, the, yeah, what I liked about this episode, like, because you got to see them crash the ship and stuff like that, and they built society, but, like, you could see it, like, how they would build society from the ship, mm-hmm. because when um, software goes into the ship, you can see that they stripped it for certain parts, certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, her mother, who I think is, like, the governor of the colony, 
you see her window as a certain shape. So when she goes into the ship, you see the same designs that's in her window in the ship. Yeah. So the consistency and whoever is the script supervisor and the production designer, yeah, yeah. they did an amazing job of keeping everything consistent of like, how would they build this in a planet where there's they don't have equipment to terraform, they don't have equipment to mine, they don't have any of this mm -hmm. stuff. How would they build this society? And you see a window that is exactly the same as in the starship. So that was something that was really cool that I really did enjoy. Yeah, that's interesting too, because I didn't catch that. Like, I know that they showed the ship crashing, but I remember thinking like, what are we seeing here? And I didn't I didn't put together that this was when they finally got the Terminus for the first time. They crashed the ship on the surface and that they kind of, uh, now that you, you know, now that you say that it makes sense that they would just utilize all of the stuff on that yeah. ship and kind of scrap it for parts to kind of build out this colony and stuff. So um, I thought that was, yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um, I, again, like I, I love the slower pace of this episode. I didn't like the romance thing in this one as well. Yeah. I also felt like I was just introduced to this person and now they're just like this in love couple. Yeah. It, it, it's it's yeah. they, it seems like they're just trying to get through that as fast as humanly possible. But um, that, yeah, that's they, one like, of the things I didn't like. Yeah, like they they bring this random dude who's like, oh yeah, he comes from the stars. He kind he was a um. He's 70 years old, but he was been uh, cryogenically frozen for most of travel all his life. Mm -hmm. So he's like technically only like 25 or 28 or some esoteric number of like hot type stuff. And the kids love him because he gives them chocolates, but they're like, oh, we don't want chocolate. We want beer. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. what? Like six, like 12 year olds, like give us beer. Yeah. I don't know what kind of what parenting they're doing on this, uh, this planet, but their kids yeah. want to drink really early. Um, so, so it, yeah. I'm oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, that was just it. I was like, oh. yeah, it's just, it's just like, ah. So Harden, um, Harden has been seeing. Uh, so the, the 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 episode ends. Harden has been seeing this little kid. I don't know if this is a figment of her imagination, or if this is an actual little kid. But she's chasing this little kid. He runs into the derelict ship that they've been scrapping for parts. The the ship that they came in on, and um, she finds this monster or this alien uh, kind of beast that. Yeah. that is there with an arrow in its shoulder and then the Anacreans. I think the Anacreans are the ones with the bows, right? In the first episode. Yeah, the Anacreans, yes. The Anacreans are they they take her gun from her and they've they've they're holding her at at arrow point, I guess. Um I loved the 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 beast. I was sitting there going, dude, the CGI yeah. this looks really good. I was just like, how are they affording this for a TV show? But yes, yeah. it it all looks so great between the the crash, the ship crash, yes. her little land speeder stuff. Um, Yo, the, the beasts, uh, the, yeah. the aliens, they all look so great in the show. The land speeder at one point, I thought it was fake. I was like, yo, I could see how cheap the CGI was. I see where they cut costs. They turn off the lights. They're like, nope, never mind. It's <laughs> yeah, still, yeah. Like, it's still supposed to look like that. It, it, okay, we're good. Like, yeah, it's yeah. supposed to, the lights made it look fake. I was like, ah, got, nope. Never yeah, mind. I was nerding out, uh, you know, in all the episodes, I was nerding out at just like how great everything looks, even like, uh, and, and when I say production design, it's like the, the actual art direction. And like, I love the, yeah. um, when Cleon in the beginning of this episode is standing in front of those windows and there's like three circles on top of it, yeah. like, that looks so cool. And their, uh, their, their passageways in Cleon's world are all like circular yes. and, and stuff. And, um, it, it's all it all feels intentional it all feels like the production designer put so much thought into the history and the lore behind this and why these design choices would be made and it all feels very lived in and, and real um yeah I, I love that stuff about this one as well yeah and even you touched upon the artwork how like uh they just they, they got rid of it but even the artwork has that impactfulness like it's not there just to be there it's there mm -hmm. because it has a meaning on purpose 
And one thing I like about the show so far is everything that they put on screen has a meaning and a purpose. It's right. not just there just to be there. It's intentional. Uh, and I enjoy shows like that because that means the production design, the everyone worked together to build the show and they built it from what what we see. They built like everything has a reason. Everything has a yeah. purpose. And I love that the tracks where she was talking about like how the force field, you see the tracks, she talks about those tracks and then it foreshadows the creature that she saves. Yeah. So it's a really, they don't, they don't bring something in for no reason at all. Something, everything has a purpose and everything has a reason. And right. I love it. And I love when shows do that. Yeah, it's great. Uh, so, so the episode ends with her being held, uh, held at arrow point from the Anacreans who have, yep. who have uh, ha- landed in terminus space, even though they're not allowed to by the Imperial edict, I think is what they said. So yeah. Um, they're, they're landed there. They're holding a knife at, at, at arrow point, And that's kind of where the episode ends. So leading into episode four, do you have any, um, do you have any kind of predictions on where we're going to go in episode four? I think we're going to re. I, I personally think we're going to revisit Gail Dornick. Cause last time we saw her, she was ejected from that ship. Yep. I think they're going to show her character and kind of show what happens to kind of piece those together. But yeah, like uh, the, the thing I, with this episode, I thought was the most disappointing was they didn't address Harry's killing. They just mm-hmm. kind of like glossed over it or just true, true. pretended it didn't happen. It's like, next thing we know they're on, they're on terminus. And it's like, wait wait what what happened was there a trial did they like what happened to Raish? what happened to gail yeah, there weren't any allusions to that yeah and yeah. yeah i totally get what you're saying so i think episode number four is going to talk about those things i think episode mm-hmm. number four is going to address uh gail Raish, uh why that happened and then the after effects of the um uh what oh, crap what are they called again um Ancarian and Assyrian? the anacreans Anacreans, thank you. Yeah, yeah. The Anacreans, like they're gonna address like how the Anacreans are on that planet. Why are they there? Yeah. And what's the Volt's purpose? But I think they're gonna start explaining a little bit more of the questions that we're wondering, like what happened to Gale? Yeah. Uh, the uh, Anacreans, why are they there? Like what brought them there? What made them want to come to a desolate planet that has nothing? My my prediction is that Gale is with the Anacreans. That's my prediction. Is that she's that. she's going to be with them um, on the planet. Something happened that uh, with the so when the when the Null Field expanded, she's coming there to like do something with the Null Field potentially or whatever. I think yeah. they're kind of laying breadcrumbs to that. Um, so that's what I think is going to happen in the next episode. Um, but yeah, I think we're just going to see a lot of that stuff flesh out as far as how she got there. But I think it makes sense that if she's ejected, somehow she ends up with the Anacreans yeah. um, and she stays on their planet. And then she's coming back now, uh, you know, to to uh, to the vault because something is yeah. activated or something has changed. Now, I have to ask you a question. In mm-hmm. episode one, um, when Gail figured out how to open uh, Harry's cube, mm-hmm. like get the information on there. He asked her how many times did it take you? Oh, twice. In episode three, we saw the current like governor of the uh, colony yeah. activate his cube as if it was nothing. So I'm curious, did Harry teach her or did they have to look at like old footage? Like how did she know how to activate his cube? That's a, that's a great point. Yeah. So I, um, yeah, because the activation is, is definitely strange because I don't know if maybe she just happened upon it or figured it out somehow or maybe just tried forever and got it or so, something along those lines. But yeah, that I have no idea. I think yeah. um, I think 
if Gale had taught her, then she would know that Gale Dornish is a Gale Dornick is alive somewhere. So I don't think that that's the case. So it must have been something she potentially learned from Harry before he passed. Um, you know, yeah, because she was going to be leading the colony or something that he told her how it operated and how it worked. Uh, something yeah. along those lines. But that, that's the only thing that really makes sense to me because I thought it was just him and Gale that knew how to do it. You know. Yeah, and like i'm sorry like like some of the stuff like as we're talking about it i i'm remembering like wait 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 how did and it's not plot plot holes because yeah we the series hasn't completed yet so we can't say oh there's a plot hole there mm -hmm. but it makes you wonder like how did she learn how to do it it's raising questions when, when yeah when at the time only two people know how to do it, which is gail and harry harry's dead and gail's in space like so when do they teach them and that yeah, yeah. correlates to like your biggest issue and my biggest issue is the time jumps the name betweens what is happening there like i know you don't need to explain everything but like yeah yeah we might we might need like a little montage like yeah. versus they, solo, like running on a treadmill may, type. It, may, it may do the thing where like you know later on in the season like it fills all those gaps and you're like okay this is satisfying but yeah as of right now it does feel you do feel like you're not kind of grounded you're just feel like you're kind of spinning and you're like wait where am i what time am when am i like i don't know what's going on yeah and all and that I kind of stuff and and that's like my biggest gripe with the series like yeah. um i i guess this is like sending off time but like this is my biggest gripe with the series because we're told all these amazing things we're seeing we're we have all these beautiful visuals but we're not told how they correlate together because there's right. too many jumps there's too many gaps there's the acting's spot on the acting's a 10 out of a 10 mm -hmm. the music's a 10 out of 10 like everything is so wonderfully designed mm -hmm. shown but the execution you're just like how does it connect like we yeah. have so many different parts that are so beautifully done yeah they they can stand alone as their own little thing but like how do they all connect because we need we need and, the connections and my hope is that the the filmmakers like I, the hope my hope is that friedman and david goyer they yeah. know this and they're like just hang in there guys just hang in there guys it's all gonna mix you know what i mean like yeah. because uh i you know um i think i think it is something that it, it seems like it's it's intentionally fast-paced it seems like they're trying to get to something they're trying to get us somewhere so I do feel that, but I my like I said, my hope is just that they're they're kind of waiting, having us hold out and say like this is all gonna make sense, this is all gonna like click. You're gonna feel a lot more secure um, by by the end of the season. So yeah, um, yeah, it's it's uh it's very dense, and that's what I worry about. General audiences going like checking out is is going like wait, there's so much shit that's being thrown at me constantly yeah. as far as the time period, all the names, all of the uh, the culture. The, the different planets and how they relate to each other it's a lot of it's a lot of it's like information waterboarding in these first three episodes yeah um so i can see that turning some people off but i i feel i feel invested i feel like uh oh yeah yeah i i definitely feel like i want to see where it's going because i i do feel like they're gonna kind of fill in those gaps especially people that have seen the full season have said it's great so i think that um that that satisfaction is is kind of inevitable i think at some point they're gonna they're gonna kind of fill those gaps for us yeah, I, I hope they do because there's so many there's so many things about this about this series that I want them to explore more. Mm -hmm. One is the religion that Gail was into. I, yeah, I know the name's gonna like attack us and like be like ah. Syn but like Syn Synax is the planet. I think it's the, whatever the religion is on that planet there. Yeah, yeah. So whatever their the Synax religion is like, it's really unique because you see. Well, in the series, in the timeline of what we're talking about, uh, Brother Darkness, he visited the temple. He got to go there and see it, mm -hmm. interact with it. 
and I want to see more about the, that yeah. religion because there's a lot of good shows use those type of religions, like the religious zealots, in such a unique way that I want to see how they use these this religion yeah. to further the plot, further the story. Completely agree. I definitely am interested in that backstory as well. That kind of leads us in here. So we we have talked about all three. We did give our predictions on episode four, or at least yep. where we think that the story is going to go. Um, I did want to do just kind of an overview of kind of what I think thematically of the show, which I think is probably its strongest thing that I, I think is the is the themes that it's exploring in the show and how kind of um, how kind of elemental they are to science fiction. But um, we did go we did go long. I, I, does it say how long we've been going for? On Twitch. An hour and thirty-two minutes. So about an hour and thirty-two minutes. Okay, that that makes sense. We did go longer in this one because we hadn't. We're doing episodes one yeah. through three. We I will mean, be streaming th- on Fridays. Um, we're gonna do episode episode four next week, and they're probably gonna be a lot shorter than this just because we yeah. wanted to get all three out on this one here. Um, but real quick too, thematically on the show, w- one of the strongest things I think about it is the theme of like this. This show is of anything i've anything i've seen visually or like on a tv show or movie this seems like the most emblematic of science fiction in that it's fiction about science as a concept so the whole theme of this is like it's a story about uh the importance of science in general so yeah. it's it's not it's not talking about a specific scientific uh idea or a specific scientific property it's talking about science as a whole and that's what i think is really interesting about this show the idea of the foundation and about building on the knowledge of your forefathers and build, taking it into the future is what science is as a yep. as as a concept. And the the imperial cloning also mirrors that theme and that they're building on the dynasties of their past and then leading it into the future. And it's this kind of standing on the shoulders of giants and seeing how much farther you can go with it. That's kind of the concept of the show. Um, it also is weaving in different things about science as well as faith yep. and saying that, you know, with with numbers and math represent kind of a scientific uh point of view but gail and her religion are, and her intuition is representing kind of more of a faith side of yeah. it so it's really tackling both of those subject matter really really beautifully so far i think uh maybe not as beautiful in the books like i said we haven't read it so yeah uh, i'm going strictly based on the show but those ideas i think are really relevant today they're very important and like i said it's so elemental to what science fiction is which is usually science fiction is is about technology is about a certain technology a certain scientific idea and this one feels like it's very wide scoped and yeah. it's about science as a whole like what's the idea of science and what's the importance of it in society um and what's the importance of building on knowledge and 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 using knowledge and stuff and uh it's kind of being a hero or a, a warrior for that for that idea and that concept which i think is great um did you did you get that in the show too those those kind of feelings or concepts yeah, no, I, I definitely did get it. And I also got like, I think it's more like a philosophical theme, like definitely the science fiction stuff. And the philosophical theme that I got was like religion versus science, like religion mm-hmm. versus actual like stuff that you could pre- not predict, but you could tell like the laws of science. Right. Com- like faith compared- versus faith versus science and, and stuff. Yeah. yeah. So you got to see a lot of that battle, especially in like the first two episodes of faith versus science. Mm-hmm. And it's that's one of the themes that I really want to see him start tackling more and start exploring more of like, we have to see where Gail comes in yeah. and stuff like that going, coming from a society where science was viewed as evil to a society where science is viewed as like the law, like it was viewed right. how it is today, like the laws of science. Yeah. You, you nailed it right on it. So yeah. more, more of like the philosophical debate of what, what is society? What is future? What is this science versus religion? So it's having more of that, is something I definitely want to see them 
tackle. And I mm-hmm. think they're doing it in a very unique way. And I like how they're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that kind of puts a bow on it here. I think we're going to do, we're going to do episode four Friday. Um, do you want to say, do you want to say around a similar time, like around six thirty, um, six thirty central or seven thirty your time? Um, uh, uh, yeah, probably seven thirty our time. Cause like, uh, as funny as it is next week, I'm going to be in New York. Okay. So it's going to be, cause I, I'm going to have to like wake up like at the crack ass of dawn watch the episode, do New York right, comic con right. and then, and then oh, record wow. this afterwards. Okay. So that's going to be a busy day for you. So yeah, we, we could do. I mean, it, if, if a day works better for you, you could always oh, do dude, that. Which no, is no, like, we're doing it Friday. Like, okay, we'll do it Friday. All right. So and yeah, we'll say we'll say Friday. We'll say seven thirty Eastern, six thirty Central. Um, we'll we'll go live and talk about the episode. I'm really excited about it. I think this was a lot of fun though. I, it this was. is definitely uh this is definitely a show worth talking about, or worth kind of deep diving into. So I'm really I'm really excited to see how it goes. But I appreciate any of you guys for hanging out with us. Um, for the past what hour and forty five minutes, it's been a uh, it's been thirty six minutes right now. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate anyone kind of tuning in and hanging out with us. Yeah. If you guys definitely want to watch us, I do have my social handles linked here. If you want to follow, um, is there anywhere that uh, they can that they can find you um, online, or do you have anything coming up that you'd like to promo? Uh, nothing coming up right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm doing New York Comic Con next week, so oh, cool. I'll I'll probably write a po- couple of stuff like that. Just post up on uh, Geeks Worldwide. Uh, mm-hmm. So as of right now, just that's going to be where you can find me at the the Geeks Worldwide. So the the gww.com. Yep. That's about it for me. Awesome. Yeah. So. Um, I have my social handles linked below. We do a district watch party. So if you guys are into kind of like cheesy, fun movies, especially now in October, we're doing a lot of Halloween stuff. If you guys want to watch movies with us live, um, we do that every, every Monday, I'm sorry, at 8 PM Eastern time. Um, so you can definitely check out on the channel there and then just kind of sync up and watch a, a corny movie with us. If you guys want to check it out. But again, thank you guys for hanging out. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up and we will see you guys Friday.